Thanks for tuning into Behind the Scene, a conversation dedicated to uncovering our biases and how to navigate them in a constructive way. Hi, I'm Mark Bauer, and welcome to episode 12 of Behind the Scene, a weekly conversation focused on understanding the biases that are at the root of society's racial tensions. We're doing things a little different today. When Brandon and I sat down to record uh, this episode, we decided to do an Insta Live. And aside from a myriad of technical issues, we actually we thought some really good conversation came out of it around the topic of the politics of identity, which I differentiate between or from uh, identity politics, which I think is important for associating a group of people around a common idea to push for legislative change uh, or to push back against oppression. And the only way that you can achieve that is by associating around a common idea or a common identity. What we see and what Brandon and I get into in this episode today is the, I guess, the manipulation that occurs around identity politics. And so that's what we, that's why we're calling it the politics of identity, where they have, where some people have hijacked that narrative and that agenda for their own self-interests. And rather than using it as a tool for truth-seeking, they've used it as kind of a wedge or to be kind of ham-fisted at, uh, at pushing a certain agenda. And so that's what we're getting into today. Excuse the, if there's any um, volume issues or, or audio issues, uh, we were trying to do this simultaneously while doing an Insta-Live. Uh, we took away a lot of lessons, but again, I think the conversation around it, I think we, we had some really good things come out of it. So thanks for bearing with us, and we will jump into that right now. Basically, what we want to achieve with this one is we've gone through 11 episodes now, uh, really through some thick content, I think, um, from my perspective. I don't know about you guys. Um, and wanted to we wanted to talk about today, before we decided to do the live, uh, the politics of identity, um, which I think is different from uh, identity politics uh, and the grouping of... Um, associations like power political associations around uh, identity or around race and uh, especially because this will be this is going to actually we're going to post this one next Monday in a week uh, and that will be one of the last ones that we do before the election and so we thought that that would be a good opportunity even though we're trying to avoid politics for the most part uh, to kind of talk about how can you wrestle through uh, and navigate some of the some of the politics of that because you, you can see a lot of virtue signaling around. Like I saw today, there was a, a PETA was talking about stopping drinking milk because, um, and you know, I just realized I'm not even talking to the mic. Um, PETA was talking about um, how they were suggesting we should stop drinking milk because uh, white supremacist groups were like rallying around milk and like using milk in their meetings. Um, and so yeah. I thought that that was really interesting because. Um, like that's that to me was just a kind of a virtue signal, what I would call a virtue signal, yeah. um, and not really around anything like truth seeking. So if if you can be a political association around uh, an identity group, then you are lobbying essentially for uh, political power or political clout. Does that make sense? And so when Peter's doing that to me, it it looks kind of it looks a little manipulative, unless 
like actually pursuing like truth and pushing back darkness if you want to talk like that i see your face what are you what are you thinking (laughs) i'm more thinking that i can hear your voice than my phone right now which is my fault um no i don't not with me but that's okay we're good i don't hear myself i hear you um tangentially though just to uh hit on what you said um pew came out with a report today that uh said that 14 percent um of the country is either uh well 14 percent of the electorate i think on either side is um uh extreme right or extreme left and these are people that won't get in the room together um they're very extreme either trumpian ideology or very progressive progressive ideology but the um the uh, cool thing about it is that what it's revealing is that most of us are middle of the road mm-hmm. and are willing to get into the room with each other and actually have a conversation about what it means to be, I don't think it's so much what it means to be American as much as it is what it means to be kind and to fight for human dignity and to express love for people that are different. Mm-hmm. So, um at least it shows us that people are becoming more curious about the experience of other people. And I'm sure that's been motivated by a lot of the 2016 political cycle and a lot of uh, the ley line of politics right now. So, yeah. Uh, which makes me think about like, cause they also, um, the department of justice came out with some information about the Russian interference and the Russian meddling in the elections and yeah. how they were trying to sow uh, mm-hmm. discord in the elections and, Originally, we just thought that they were trying to be one-sided about it, but really they were posting things, misinformation, really divisive things on both sides. So they would take a stance like on the NFL kneeling thing. They would post about uh, something really inflammatory about like what Trump said about it and then uh, post something else like really dogging on Trump for doing that. And so uh, really indicative that they weren't really trying to take one side necessarily or uh, even though in some cases maybe they were, but – uh, really what they were trying to do is just be divisive. And I think the media probably played into that, like played right into their hands, yeah. exactly what, what they were trying to do. Um, and so it got me thinking then, like, are these conversations, like how much do they reflect reality and how much of our reality is in response to to that? Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Um, and if more of those people are willing to have these conversations than we think, then are all these like, conversations happening in the national media are those more caricatures of what's really going on yeah i mean i don't think it's all caricatures but i i think um there is something going on in the media and in the world of politics right now that is playing on the on the identity of people and putting us against each other so um whether that's intentionally or unintentionally i'm not sure perhaps there's some grand scheme or agenda i'm not going to be so trumpian and say that it's the crazy media or something like that, you know, that's doing so much. But but I will say that um, I think there's something to be said about the polarization in cable news, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and um, and that's something that's at the advent of the 90s. You know, we used to just have like CBS and NBC and ABC. And now those guys kind of got kicked to the curb a little bit, had to come up with some creative programming, um, you know, just during the primetime hours, you know, and uh, had to compete. And in the news cycle with Fox News and CNN, that was obviously more salacious. And then MSNBC was the same. You know, they found a way to make news entertaining. Mm-hmm. And um, and how do you do that? Right. right. You do that by actually creating um, a lot of controversies, perhaps, you know, a lot of like negative feedback. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Around. Right. I don't know. Just 
who we are right. to each other, you know. So and, I don't know. And playing those up and uh, dramatizing them and um, did I say that word right? Dramatizing that'll work. That'll work. Dramatizing um, is great. Uh, and yeah, and you see that like with Twitter too and social media where clicks rule, and so the more salacious you can be, uh, then you know, then the more clicks you're going to get, and so yeah, it, it drives home. You don't even have to read the headline; you just read something that looks really. Uh, like I know that there were some sometimes, or especially around 2016, where people were finding like finding these really obscure people just saying real nonsense on Twitter, and then they would write a whole story around it. They would say like, yep. "Oh, you know, someone's opposed to this, or someone's saying something really racist here." Yeah. Uh, and I think maybe kind of amplified some things that weren't really existing at the local level, like you talked about. People mm -hmm. are more willing to to get together, but. But maybe we're not. So yeah. that's kind of interesting. I think people are just different. I mean, like, obviously where you grow up makes a difference, mm -hmm. you know, in terms of, I mean, we're talking about the politics of identity, right? So, which is, Mark and I were talking earlier, the difference between that and identity politics, right? We're not talking about whether or not you identify as Republican or Democrat. Mm -hmm. Talking about the the experience that you, that, that any one person can have growing up. And, uh, um, you know, like if you're from the Midwest, from Indiana, perhaps, you know, there's a good chance you haven't grown up around someone that's black and you're not familiar with the black or brown experience for the most part. So um, for someone, well, that just makes you really vulnerable to any narrative that someone puts out there around what it means to be black or brown, you know, or what it means to be an immigrant or what it means to cross the border. Like, you know, you're reliant on whatever news type of news that your family listened to, you know, in order to help design that truth or you know or whatever you find to be more truthful and more honest um so anyway but i think that the the, the same is true if you're on the more liberal and progressive side of the argument if you're from more of an urban center you know then you're probably going to be listening to certain narratives that are coming from certain people the al sharptons of the world or the jesse jacksons of the world you know who are speaking to sort of the um uh, mostly masses of african-american people and brown people that are living in the inner cities living in urban centers as opposed to living in rural america so, um, yeah, I think that there's there's definitely a, a, a play going on there. I don't, I think there's some malicious people out there, like maybe Breitbart, <laughs> you know what I mean? Might be a little, mm, they might be a little suspect, um, you know, in terms of how they're using the media, um, you know, to, uh, to divide, you know, for political gain, mm -hmm. um, to get certain people into um, office and, some other people but i think that most of it is just that you know having a difference of opinion has turned into identity mm -hmm. as opposed to um having a difference of opinion um didn't mean that i had to look at you as someone different or someone that wasn't worthy or someone that wasn't worth being connected to or listening to i didn't automatically call you stupid or think that you were dumb you know but instead we have turned it into this like rejection of i don't know people and who they are yeah. so and we talked right. last week well which is technically we in the episode that we released today uh about ego and how um you know essentially your life experiences and education and things are essentially programming for your brain and like who you are as a person today is a result of all that and when you introduce uh, and so the more you tie your political uh, beliefs to your identity and you kind of see that because we have seen the uh, you know uh, identity politics come into play but I think that's necessary too at the same time to move uh, civil rights like you can't have you can't separate the two uh, if you want to uh, to move the needle on like normative whiteness for example which is 
uh, what was perpetuating like Jim Crow and all that, then you have to have a common like a common association around an aggrieved party, and they mm-hmm. were the black community, right? And so mm-hmm. you at that point you do have to assign you know some sort of identity to politics, but then the backlash to that is. Uh, I think, you know, you hear people talk about, like, reverse racism. I think what they're try- trying to talk about, especially, like, in 2018, uh, they feel aggrieved. Um, and so, and we don't really have a word for that. Uh, reverse racism. Reverse racism, I know. Uh, I don't know that it's even a thing. Uh, uh, but we... Talk about like it. talk about it like that. What though. do you think? Yeah. <laughs> Is it a thing? Reverse racism? I don't know. So you had some thoughts, though. <laughs> I mean, I have some thoughts. I mean, t- first to your earlier point, I think around uh, being able to rally, like in order for civil rights to become a thing, someone had to, you know, sort of devise some sense of identity around equity, Mm -hmm. I guess, or that had to become a, I think it did become a part of some people, you know, but what's interesting is that you think about someone like Martin Luther King Jr., who was able to transcend some of that, and people were able to have their own identities, but they had, to, but, but they believed in one thing, you know, they believed in something together. And um, we only get biblical for just a second, but there is, I've mentioned this before, there is a verse in the Bible, like Amos 3, verse 3, that says uh, um, that two people cannot walk together unless they agree with one another, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. I think there's something essential to respecting the identity or the um or, or, or the self-designation, self-determination of another person, you know, coming into agreement um, with that person or with those people around one central thing, in this case, i.e. civil rights, right? Mm-hmm. So there was a group of people that transcended their political differences, their religious differences, and said, we're going to march on Washington mm-hmm. and we're going to march in Selma. And they decided to do that because they believed a transcendent idea mm-hmm. that we could unify, we could be together, and we could treat people that were different equally. Um, so, um, which I think is you know, cool and a miracle, you know, that was able to happen. And I don't, I don't think we're done with that. Obviously we need that in this time. Now that being said, all right, reverse racism, but for real though, reverse racism, but for real. Um, so the narrative out there is that black people can't be racist. So, um, so such as reverse racism. Okay. So if racism is black people, is, is white people not, um, liking black people because of the color of their skin there is a narrative out there that says that reverse racism is black people not liking white people or brown people not liking white people because of the color of their skin um and then there are people out there that say that that is not possible that it is not possible for black people to be racist (laughs) so i'm sorry i don't mean to chuckle (laughs) i do kind of mean to chuckle um because i don't I, i i i think we're splitting hairs uh, yeah, I think it's the wrong thing to be defining. So you don't even think we're asking the right question? I'm not asking the right question. How about just don't hate? Yeah. Just don't do it. Yeah, because that's... I, I think <laughs> just that's don't what judge. It, what it comes down to is... Uh, and yeah, I think that we kind of do get into splitting hairs because people can be... Like Dave Chappelle calls it, and I love it. He calls it a brittle spirit. People can have a brittle spirit about them and be just nasty, mean people. He's so uh, brittle. Yeah, just so brittle. Stop being brittle. Uh, whereas, you know, and so when people say when white people can identify a brittle spirit in somebody else, a hateful spirit, and they try to say it's racism because what we've grown up hearing is that racism is race-based prejudice. And so when you say, aha, well, there's 
a black person who doesn't like a white person, then that is in their mind race-based prejudice. Uh, whereas really the, the definition that I understand, I guess the textbook definition that I've learned um, is the case, is that racism is prejudice, race-based prejudice coupled with power. So you can't be racist without having some sort of amount of power, of power. to deal with it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I, I understand that yeah. power is important to the, you know, to the manifestation of discrimination and racism. Mm-hmm. Um, but as I said before, what do you then call the byproduct? You know, like if you have black people that have animus, you know, towards white people, then what do we call that? Mm-hmm. You know, um, you said it might be prejudice. And then I was like, I don't know if it's prejudice. Like I was like, at first I was willing to go there. And then I was like, but, but no, I was like, it's more than that. It's more than just prejudice or discrimination. Like, what are we actually trying to like prove in a sense, you know, by even making the statement that black people can't be racist or brown people can't be racist. I don't know what we're trying to prove there. Um, cause it doesn't bring anyone closer together by making that statement. Yeah. And, um, and it arguably does bring people together who white people do agree that they have been, mm-hmm. you know, racist, right. you know, at least to say that. Yeah. Um, and it might be beneficial for black people to just sort of say, okay, we accept that you believe that, you know, you know, or that you acknowledge that you've been racist and I don't have to defend that I'm not going to be or that I can't be. Like, I don't know. I don't know how helpful that is, but, um, but I mean, you know, people make their own points. I, I don't know. I, I, it just doesn't help me sort of move through um, this building bridges position that I find myself in in life. Yeah, I agree. You know? I'm the same way. And, but that splitting hairs, we kind of get caught up in the fight and the bickering and you're like, yeah, I agree. What does it do to move the ball forward? Uh, if we're just bickering over like the definition of words when like what is the spirit of it all and what is the end game what's the spirit of it all yeah y'all y'all what's the spirit of it all the spirit of it all is everybody just mad yeah. mad and angry yeah. and we do have to deal and i say we have to or we should but those are really strong words mm-hmm. but we can choose to deal with the uh with the hurt and with the animus that people have you know around um, racism. And we talk about it on the podcast a lot. It's like, what does it mean for the people that are in power, that have had power, to show up with equity, um, to be a force for good in the context of the ancestral history, right? Um, if you had a 400-year head start over me, then you have some ability 400 years later to help me get to where you're at because of what you took. Whether you were there or not, because you look the way you do, you benefit from it. Um, because I look the way I do, I don't benefit from it, right? right? And so there is something inherent within the system that benefits this thing we call whiteness, correct? Mm-hmm. You know, whatever the construct is benefits whiteness as a construct benefits someone who looks white. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it, it does not do that for someone that looks like me, though I have been able to do some things um, and be successful in some measure of the word. And I say, like, incredibly so. Um, but that's not the, that's not for most of people that look like me, honestly, you know, though. Um, and in fact, there are a lot of numbers that say that for African-American men, they're decreasing going to college right now. African-American women, I think, are going up and going to college, you know, but yeah. I don't know what's happening to the men. But here again, this is something, well, I know what's happening to them. It's called prison mm-hmm. and, um, <laughs> you know, and minor infractions and things like that. It, yeah. it, it's really happening to them. So um, talk about identity. You know, stuff, you know what I mean? It's like, well, what does it do to um, the uh, this whole perception, you know, that white people could have or that white women or white men could have of black men? 
you know, um, because they're not going to college and elevating themselves or whatever that is, mm-hmm. could actually is an identity. You know, it's a mindset. You think that, oh, they're not whatever, whatever that judgment is, right? Um, but uh, the reality is that there could be something truly systemic going on. Mm-hmm. And there is something truly systemic going on. Read The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander, and you'll, you know, hear some of that, you know, mm-hmm. about how the criminal justice system is sort of like, it is the Jim Crow of mm-hmm. the of, of this of this era, 50 years later, 60 years later. So, um, yeah. yeah. Anyway. And I agree. And we don't want to take positions. Uh, we've talked about that in being impartial. But I think that there are real injustices that are measurable and um, that you can, like, probable even. You can, you can point to them and you can look at the numbers and you can say, uh, you know, there's disparity that's occurring here. Like, what's the cause of that? And can we make a change in the voting booth? And um, and if you can do that, then I think that there should be real conversation that moves toward that. Whether you're conservative or liberal, I think that's something that we can agree on. But when we get caught up in the minutia of like the little arguments that don't even like that don't even I guess make sense um, mm-hmm. or aren't even um, valuable, like there's no value to them. Um, if we could stop having those those arguments where people are maybe being a little manipulative where they're using it. So you have real injustice occurring over here and it's tied to identity. And now you're looking for all the, like all the triggers or all the, you know, all the things going on, like on the margins that you're hijacking and you're trying to use to move an entire political agenda at that point. Like, right. Like criminal justice reform is necessary. And, and like you could point to real, things going on there and then you're good but then you're going to use like minor infractions like somebody misspeaking uh or mitt romney saying like binders full of women you know to use a a gender Mm. example Mm. and then we're going to use that and we're going to use that to move an entire political agenda like at what point is identity politics or the politics of identity unhelpful to real justice or real equity and i don't even know if that's a good question that's well let me think about it for a second that's a good question at what point is the politics of identity not helpful to is not is not for the common good and i think that i think it is where like identity politics either being republican or democrat actually turned into um using people's experience against other people's experience right and so i think we saw this um we, we, or some would say, I won't say whether I believe this or not, because <laughs> you won't be able to hold me to it, um, that for Trump, that he was able to harness the identity of, how many people you got? How many people you got? We're looking, we're, 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 we're looking. like comparing how many yeah. people are like signed on to our things. How many people you got? Anybody seen over there? Yeah, six. Okay, I had, my most was eight, so I don't know where y'all went, but you got to come back, come back, come back, tell all your people, tell them, come back. Come back. Um, who is it? Hmm? Who came on? No, nobody. Okay. I thought he was like, one of our famous friends came online and I was like, that would be awesome <laughs> if that were the case. Okay. Anyway, so um, Trump perhaps did this, you know, where he looked at uh, what was going on in the Midwest and then played to that with the narrative that he was using. And then it became, you know, very apparent, you know, that it was connecting with a particular part of the electorate. Right. Mm-hmm. Um but then he was also, while he was affirming one electorate, um, their experience, he was um, uh, not being kind or not showing deference to um, another group, 
you know, or several other groups and their experience. Now, I think there were two things happening there. One was, was of course, the conversation on, on, um, on immigration. But then he was calling um, people who were Hispanic um, and rather that were illegal immigrants um, uh, certain names, right? And becoming more salacious in the narrative. They're rapists. They are, you know, whatever, whatever he was saying. Okay, so there's that. Um, but then look at what Trump was doing with African-Americans. Really, really interesting how he changed the narrative here. So then he, he goes, the Democrats haven't done anything for you. What do you have to lose? Come over here. You know what I mean? And do you know that worked? <laughs> do you know it worked? I mean, and it worked not only for um, black Americans, it worked for black evangelical Americans, you know, too. And it worked for um, white evangelical Americans that he was making that statement towards um, a minority group, you know, saying, hey, look at him. He's a, this is the crowning like populism of like Trumpian politics. It's like amazing that he could demean one group of people. Right. But they were illegal. Right. So he demeaned them and said that their experience wasn't valid in a sense. Not even that he'd said that. He was just saying, look, you're not valid in terms of part of the electorate. So I'm actually going to, you know, whatever. So there's this whole other experience that 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 um, immigrants out of the southern border are going through, not just that they're like criminals. Right. And then he was pointing to the experience of African-Americans as a way to. I think it jump-started his populism a bit. You know, I think yeah. it, it, it really did. So anyway, I hope that makes sense. And this is about where in our Insta Live broadcast the wheels kind of started to fall off. And so uh, we're going to cut it off here. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed some of this discussion today. Uh, we are trying to figure out different delivery platforms to give you content in a, in a variety of ways. So whether it's giving you resources from some of the things that we've discussed or some of the things that we're watching and reading uh, in the form of a weekly newsletter or uh, posting videos to Facebook or um, content to Instagram. Um, and so we appreciate you engaging with us in whatever way you find yourself. Uh, and also, what it, uh, we love the, the feedback, whether that's in the form of a text message or in the form of an email. Uh, it's really helpful for us as we craft our content for the upcoming weeks. Uh, next week, we're going to be broadcasting live on election night next Tuesday. Uh, we're going to bring in a special guest to discuss the topic of uh, the church and how the church has oftentimes perpetuated uh, slavery and racism for its own self-interest. And so I'm really looking forward to that discussion, and I hope that you check us out next Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for tuning in to Behind the Scene. Just a quick reminder that the views expressed in this podcast are strictly that of Brandon's and mine and do not reflect that of our employer. Uh, and then second, if you enjoyed this content at all, we'd love it if you could like it and subscribe. And then, of course, if you think you had know anyone who would benefit from this content or would like to engage with it, please share it with them as well. And we will see you next time.